You're listening to the Pop Tart Podcast. Girls down. You already know. There's so much fear involved in in like this sort of science fiction future that we're all like trying to imagine. Oh my God, I've already seen this movie. Like I watched this movie stoned thinking like this is never gonna happen. You need to see Mariska Hargitay's purple plush tricked out dressing room. You need to see it. It feels more like when a woman does it that it's more angry and it's more warranted. Hello. Hello. Hi. And welcome to Pop-Tarts. Be me, me, me. <laughs> Thank you. I'm Emily Rems. I'm Callie Watts. We're both editors of Bust Magazine, Yay. usually from Brooklyn, New York, but now from home. We <laughs> love talking to each other about pop culture. We love talking to you about pop culture. And today we have a guest that I am so very excited to talk to. A seasoned character actor with impeccable comic timing, Judy Greer is probably best known for her role in Arrested Development, where she played Kitty Sanchez, assistant to Jason Bateman's Michael Bluth. She also appeared in plenty of girl culture classics, including 13 Going on 30, 27 Dresses, and one of my favorite feminist flicks of the past couple of years, the 2018 reboot of Halloween. Yes! Yeah. Her latest project which she both executive produced and stars in, is an episode of Into the Dark, a Blumhouse-produced horror anthology series that premieres a feature-length episode every month tied to a holiday. The show is now in its second season on Hulu, and Judy is starring in a film called Good Boy, tied to Pet Appreciation Week. <laughs> Into the Dark, Good Boy airs June 12th on Hulu, and it is an excellent example of woman-centric horror. I can't wait to talk all about it. Welcome, Judy. Thank you for coming on our show. Thank you for having me. What a great introduction. I might have to steal that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, before we get into talking about the movie, I want to thank you for making it because it's really been a very, it's been the bright spot out of a very dark week watching yeah. it. Um, this is going to be released about a week and a half after we have this discussion, but right. um, we're Today. talking the week of June 1st and yeah. um, we're up around like the, we've been in a week of civil unrest of great soul searching for yes. our nation it's been yes. very deeply emotional for I everyone hope, i hope soul searching for our nation it really it has to be actually well, as we, i mean that's the goal i feel like that that is my hope sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you i'm just like no absolutely <laughs> i was just about to ask you you know how what are your feelings at this time we're all feeling very tender we're all really exploring like what we can do to help the movement and I'm just wondering what your experience has been this week and how you're feeling um I I would imagine I'm feeling the same as all you know the us on our coasts are feeling like um enraged embarrassed saddened um fearful uh looking inward heavily um and 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 you know and a little hopeful too that like this does create some positive change and we do um 
we do continue this work um, past, you know, past social media. I mean, that it, 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 like that things systemically start to, that we start to fix them. I mean, especially considering that we have a big election coming up in November, but also, you know, tied to that big election, there's smaller elections. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of things we can do right now today to help this cause. But one of the greatest things is for us all to start really educating ourselves about who we're electing in our areas, not just the president, but, you know, city council, like, uh, the, you know, health board, um, (laughs) deputy mayors, judges, uh, school board. I mean, these, these people make obviously like sheriffs and chief of police, like police, these elections make a huge difference. And in a lot of ways, they make more of a difference than the presidential election. Um, And, and we are starting to learn that finally. Yeah, I, it's, it's really, shaking things up my partner and Callie's partner are out at the protests right now and yeah. we're here um in <laughs> with <New York>. me <laughs> Doing, but we're no we're all doing our part so being able to talk about this with you is is helpful to yeah, help us we were protesting here in los angeles on saturday and um and i've been on some really educational and cool sort of like zoom forums about you know next steps and there's so much work to be done and and actually when I was just about to log on to this podcast I got an email inviting me to to another one on Friday morning and um and uh like I I, I'm just happy that people are getting together and talking about this the books that everyone's telling us to read are sold out and there's a six-month wait list at the LA Public Library for white fragility like that's that sounds funny if you take that sentence out of context um that's also have to wait for six months for white fragility um I you know so these are these are good things like these are this is positive you know this is a time to look inward and educate ourselves and and um and soul search and uh yeah so I'm glad I'm glad that people are waiting for white fragility (laughs) (laughs) white fragility it's worth the wait it's worth the wait um I wanted to start a social media campaign where we could just you know for those of us that have these books already in our bookshelf if we can kind of I was thinking it'd be cool to like find like a pass them on campaign where like and we all start writing our name in the books so that when you get it you read it you write your name down on the book. You take your notes on a separate notebook if there are things you need to remember or really speak to you or the things that were the hardest for you to read. And then we pass on these books and pass them to people so that we can really like, I mean, the only problem with that, I will honestly say as an author is, you know, we do want to give these authors money and we want to support (laughs) their cause. But if the books are sold out, that's always a good sign. And you can always uh, buy another book by the same author, probably donate to a cause that they care about online. So those... That's right. I'm in. If you want to pass a book on to me, I'll pass one on to you. (laughs) Great. Don't lose my number, Judy Greer. (laughs) Okay. All right. So I want to first tell 
our listeners about your film, Good Boy, and then I want to tell you about why I specifically enjoyed it so much. Okay, go. Okay. <laughs> so for our listeners who haven't seen it yet, you play a journalist who recently started working from home and you don't have kids, but you do <laughs> rescue an adorable little black and white dog. And he's mm-hmm. such a sweet boy, but he has a naughty streak that gets very out of control. And would you say that that's an accurate summation without giving too much away? Yes. Okay. So what I want to tell you, Judy Greer, about me is that I am a journalist who recently started working from home (laughs) and I don't have kids, but I did rescue an adorable little black and white cat. And he is such a sweet boy, but he also has a very naughty streak that gets out of control. My little guy's name is Irv. And he smashed all the glasses in the apartment by chucking them out of the cabinets. And when he started turning the stove on for fun, we had to take all of the knobs off of the stove. Um, Also, fun fact, you and I are the same age. So, yes. So my question is, why did you make a movie about my life and who sent you? Okay, well, I'm glad that you're in New York, so you can't um, necessarily get a restraining order on me. I've been following you for (laughs) about two years now. Um, It's no accident that you found Irv, and I am responsible for the pandemic so that you had to work from home so that I could make a movie about your life. But actually... in. In reality, I feel like a lot of women, especially, are going to relate to this film. And I wonder if there are any overlaps between you and your life with your character in Good Boy or if it's just me. Um, Hold on one second. I can keep talking, but I have to show you something which you'll have to describe to... um... (gasps) Judy Greer is holding up a very good boy. What um, is his name? This is a little girl. She is a, <gasps> she's a good girl. Um, her name is Mary Richards. Um, Mary Richards. If you are listening to this and you are so inclined to go to my Instagram page, she's well represented. Um, you can see her there. Uh, she is a terrier mix. She weighs about 10 pounds. Look at her belly. It's got Sweet spots girl. on it. Um, this is... Uh, so, so this is my rescue, my emotional support rescue terrier mix. And I'm sad to say that there are a lot of, um, parallels, um, to this cutie and to the dog in the movie. Um, his real name is Chico. His movie name is Ruben. Um, Ruben, uh, does, you know, he... I would say fulfills an extreme form of emotional support when my character gets stressed out. Um, I was walking Mary by a coffee shop in my neighborhood one day and these two young writers like ran out and they were like, Jody, Jody, Jody. And I didn't know they were writers. They were just two young guys, right? They run out and they're like screaming my name. And I'm like, Oh, here we go. It's on. I'm going to have to be very cool, but like distance myself and get away from this uh, situation. And they were like, hi, my name's Will and I'm Aaron. And it turns out that they were brothers. They were writers. They're represented by my management company, which for some reason made me feel a little safer because at least like we had people in common. Um, and they said, this is so crazy that you're walking by and you have a little white terrier mix because we're like literally writing a script, a spec script about 
a woman who gets an emotional support dog and it's a horror film and we are writing it like for you. And <gasps> I, I know I was like, what the F? So I hurry away because now I'm still a little bit freaked out, but I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. So I, uh, so we set up like a proper meeting and they pitched me the script and it's so good. They send me their first draft. We did like one little round of notes and I had just finished shooting the first Halloween for Blumhouse and I love those guys so much and I sent it over to them and was like, hey, is this anything you guys respond to? That's Hollywood talk for like. Um, (laughs) All my emails say, if you respond to the material. Um, Anyway, so I sent it over to them and uh, and they were like, this would be perfect in our Into the Dark series. Would you consider, you know, would that Anyway, basically, I was like, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's kind of how it all came together. And I guess why I'm an executive producer. Fancy. Yeah, which is very fancy, and I love that. <laughs> I I also love the fact that you are the star of this film, and you're in basically almost every scene. Yeah. And you're one of those actors where, where I'm like, you know, Judy Greer, she's in absolutely everything. And you are. You've been in like 80 films. You're in so yeah. many movies that are that are so important to so many people but you've been the supporting character in a lot of them and so I find it to be an especially tasty treat when you are the star because I always want to see more of you when I see you in a film and so this was a very satisfying so it was satisfying it wasn't like oh yeah no we we like her being supporting that was no not at all (laughs) I, I definitely whenever I see you I always like want to see more which is part of the Judy Greer experience I think (laughs) they're also uh one of those care those actors who's been in so many projects with cult followings Mm. it's a little hard for me to pin down what people might best know you for I know for me I'm obsessed with your performance in Arrested Development and right now I'm just sitting here trying to resist the urge to lift up my dress and tell you to say goodbye to these I know Um, I I want to do it to you too. How weird is that? (laughs) What is the role people want to talk to you most about? And has anyone ever literally flashed their boobs to you in tribute? Um, I get fake flashed a lot. I was thinking that it would be funny to flash you today. And then I remembered that I haven't put on a bra since the quarantine started like 12 or 13 weeks ago. So I was like, that would be a real flash if I flashed them it would be an honor though, honestly. <laughs> even if we would just say it and not do it I think it would um, our let's, let's pretend I did it um okay. I uh I have gotten fake flash like where people are like woo and kind of do the motion but without doing it and then I have had guys do it um and I've gotten to see a lot of like yummy bellies uh hairy dudes, some hairy bellies hairy nipples hairy everything where like yeah and then I've had friends and and people who've actually become friends like say um oh my god I say that to my husband like every single night that's like our funny thing that we do and it's it's, it's funny that that became it's not funny because it's hilarious and the show's so good um but it really did become kind of a fun thing and and I mean I have like been 
like at a meeting in a like a coffee shop like outside like a, a business meeting you know where I'm trying to like impress a director and someone will walk by and be like say goodbye to these and I'm like okay 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 <laughs> thank you yeah, this is the drama I'm talking about right now and I'm really trying to <laughs> convince this director I'm talking to that I can be dramatic so you flashing me your giant belly is not gonna help <laughs> True confession to, I was so excited about this interview that like to, to warm up for it, I think it was yesterday, the day before, our producer, Luscious Logan, is also my paramour. And so I gave him a say goodbye to these because oh. like I was like all jacked to, to talk to you. Nice. Thank you. I'm honored. <laughs> yeah, that one was for you, Katie Greer. Um, I want to ask you about the pandemic a little bit uh it has changed the way we all do our jobs and i would like to know how your career has adjusted in the era of social distancing what have you been up to for the last couple of months now that we're not allowed to see each other i know um you know i'd like to say that i've been really bettering myself as a human in many ways that i don't always have time for cuz i'm working a lot but that is not true that's just what i want to say um uh how it's affected my work um you know now i'm really developing a ton of shit and and that's something I don't usually have time for. So that's been uh, exercising a whole other brain muscle for me. Um, and, and it's just a weird, you know, it's weird for actor. It's weird for everyone. Okay. But um, I guess we just don't really know like how and when we'll, you know, no one really knows, but like, how, how, I guess more the how we'll go back to work is, is a question that I keep talking about with my friends in my industry, like producers and lawyers and actors and stuff. And like, what are you hearing? What are you thinking? And, um, and there's so much speculation. It's just really hard to know. I've, I am not saying this based on anything except for my own mental well-being. I have decided for myself that I can probably not work until the new year. And that is okay emotionally for me. Like, I can manage that. Um, I needed to, in my brain, have some kind of, like, I needed to create sort of a finish line. And and while people are like, no, you'll be back to work this summer or in the fall. I mean, look, if that's the case, I will maybe start believing in the baby Jesus Christ. But, um, like, you know, if that's not, then... um, then I'll be okay, like emotionally, I think, because I've told myself, <laughs> do I sound like I'm messed up? I have been going to therapy on Zoom every single week, although it's like therapy Zoom, so it's not really Zoom. It's like whatever she uses. Anyway, so in that regard, I'm trying to manage those expectations, um, doing a lot of developing, a little bit of writing, which I don't usually do, but I have time, um, and then like kind of taking a minute to try to enjoy where I live because I'm not usually here. I'm usually out of town or in weird hotel rooms in strange cities. And so, um, so I'm Are you in LA. Yeah. I'm in Los Angeles and, uh, you know, lock on wood, my whole family has been healthy. So that's good too. We haven't had anyone 
um, in our family get sick. Um, I have two grown-up stepkids, um, and I worry about them. But I also, like, I, I mean, they're, like, healthy and I think they're good. I think they're being safe. Who knows? It's all so, like, you know, it's just such a strange time. And then, you know, every week you wake up in the morning on Monday and see how many people last week filed for unemployment. And, you know, you see, like, your local restaurants and bars and stuff, like, hurting so much. And and it just feels so helpless. Like, that is something to manage. And I feel like, you know, I've like got nothing to complain about. Like I have a nice house and I'm good. And my husband is still working at his job. They're making their show and uh, real time with Bill Maher and they're shooting it in Bill's backyard. And that's been weird and fun. But, um, you know, so I'm one of the very lucky ones. I know this, but it has been, you know, you're just, there's so much fear involved in, in like this sort of science fiction future that we're all like trying to imagine, like what's it going to be like? And, and you're just like, Oh my God, I've already seen this movie. Like I watched this movie stoned thinking like this is never going to happen. Um, I'm excited that like all the flowers are blooming. So when I walk this creature that I showed you every day, I get to see all these pretty flowers and yes, do I wish I had been taking Spanish classes this whole time? Of course, of course. And, um, and I'm reading a ton of books and I knit and I've been knitting all these sweaters and I can bake bread, but weirdly I haven't been baking bread because I was baking a lot of bread before this happened. And then watching on Instagram how everyone's baking bread for some reason, it just makes me like sourdough in particular. Yeah. I, first of all, I've never had success with a starter. So I just bake white bread. And honestly, I gave my, one of my best friends, I gave her a loaf of white bread and she couldn't tell the difference. And then she was like, I mean, you know, because you make sourdough. And I was like, I don't, that was white bread. And she was like, what? And I was like, yeah, it was fine. <laughs> it's fine. You ate white bread and you're going to be fine. Um <laughs> I'm frankly very surprised with all of like you Hollywood types talking about all the bread that you're baking because I thought that people in Hollywood like as a religion did not eat bread. So like what is happening? Um, I've always eaten bread, but you are right. Most of my friends are gluten free, um, which I am like a giant eye roll, but I am vegan. So I can't, I don't take carbs out of my diet because then I'm like, I know that like my one, I have a friend actually in New Jersey who's a gluten-free vegan and I'm like, are you allergic to gluten? And she's like, no. And I'm like, what are you doing? But she also, to be fair, she does like cook all of her own food. And I mean, now we all do pretty much, but, um, but before the pandemic, I always thought it was really difficult unless you cooked all your own food, which she did. And now I do, and I could probably be a gluten-free vegan, but I don't want to because I love bread and I love pasta and I love all those things. So, um, yeah, some some actors do eat bread. I mean, wow. it's a dirty secret, and we're supposed to not talk about it, you know? Like, our union... Now it can be told. Out, the union sends out newsletters saying, like, you're not talking about how you really do eat bread, are you? <laughs> There's, I'm like, a picture of you. Silence. 
I know. No, you and Oprah, because much like Oprah, I love bread. <laughs> I, I love, love bread. I do. She says that in this commercial and uh, the the Weight Watchers commercial. She sings uh, about how she loves bread, and it's everything. I mean, if Oprah's eating bread, then we should all be eating bread. Basically. Basically. Um, Good Boy is a horror movie, and I find that horror is a very polarizing genre. Horror lovers like Callie and myself go out of our way to consume horror movies, especially women-centric horror like Good Boy and like the Halloween reboots that you've been making with Jamie Lee Curtis, which are the absolute best. (laughs) Um, But then there's folks like my mom who will not watch a movie if it's marketed in any way as a horror movie. Um, How do you feel about the genre? Do you have any faves? And like, how can we make these squeamish people like my dear mama come around? Well, okay. I was not a horror person. Self-admittedly, I I didn't understand the genre. I um I'm not super familiar with it um until I started making them and I made a couple before Halloween. Um and what I realized is that there it's kind of like shooting a comedy weirdly when you're actually on set making it cuz it's so fun. And you are putting yourself in these situations that are very over the top and broad. And so a lot of times you're doing a comedy and like, you know, we were talking about like 13 going on 30. It's like over the top and broad. But I'm like, what are you doing? He's a child. Like, instead you're like, get away from me! And like freaking out. And and it's the same thing. You just are doing a different, you're just like reacting. Do you know what I mean when I say it's the same thing? Because maybe I can't yes. put in the words. So in that respect, it is the most fun. And then when they're throwing gobs of fake blood at you and you're covered in stickiness and it's cold out and you're like screaming at the top of your lungs and running really fast and like, and then someone's like, cut! Um, it's so fun. And there's an energy on set that I love, like, I always say you can tell like if a director's happy with the take by how they say cut and like you get sometimes where they're like cut or there's like a pause and cut uh, and they're like oh god but for the most part and it could just be David Gordon Green because he's my hero um, he just loves shooting movies and he loved shooting these movies and he was just like always like action cut yes all right we're doing it again. we're doing it and like running up to us and it's just like there's like you feel like you're like on a wild ride like at an amusement park or something okay sorry so that's like one of the things that made me fall in love with horror personally was making them and now when i watch them um i'm still i'm a really good audience member like i'm always super scared i always scream i never see it coming i never see the end coming and i'm pretty like smart but i'm like a really good audience member i'm always like if you're doing a test screening and you need me to go and scream and freak out and cry and laugh loud like i will do that for you and i won't be faking it um So it's made me really like watching them because I remember how fun they are to make and I like the adrenaline rush of it. And then as far as getting people who aren't into horror into horror, I was talking to my friend Ryan Turek who works for Blumhouse and produced Halloween and was on set with us every day. And I was like, I feel like I need a horror education. Like I need to understand why it is a genre that people die for. (laughs) 
and and he was explaining to me that like the best horror movies are about something real. They're about like being ostracized. They're about discrimination. They're about, um, you know, your biggest fear. Uh, they're about being alone. They're about um, the person you love changing in front of your eyes. Like, like they're about these sort of like really human fears and situations and they're just heightened to this extreme um and and it's how you know when I started watching the great horror films from that perspective like they're about the environment um the stuff he had me watch and it's like about like the environment takes over um you know the environment like taking over the world and people getting poisoned and then it's about advertising and brainwashing people and it's about these like big these big ticket ideas that are sort of like masked and sometimes campy sometimes not just really scary like stories and when i started looking at the great horror films from that perspective it made me understand why they were so great and i've I, I've converted a few people with this argument. And even like, I, I love how horror movies in particular articulate something very specific about the horror of being a woman that other yeah. kinds of movies don't necessarily like, even if it's not woman centric horror, like there's something intrinsically uncomfortable for some women i'm not going to say women are not a monolith about mm -hmm. taking a shower somewhere that is not in your own home and yeah. psycho fucking nailed Hello. it and, yeah. and like they like there's something very universal in that fear that psycho capitalized on that i feel like there's all these different moments in um in different horror movies that the reason why there is the the trope of the last girl mm -hmm. is because there's something so horrifying about womanhood that gets reflected in the horror genre that doesn't really get the same treatment in other kinds of films. Yeah. I, that's a really, I mean, I, I'd love to explore that more because I, I do feel like when you see a woman kicking ass in horror movies, it's like doubly amazing. It's like so much more amazing than when a man is kicking ass. And I don't think I'm saying that because I'm a woman and I'm a feminist and I believe that like we should be kicking more ass, even though I am and do. Um, it's just like, it feels, I don't know, more, uh, it just feels scarier and it feels more like real. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> I don't know why. It feels more <laughs> like like when a woman does it, that it's more angry and it's more warranted. <laughs> Even if, if it's I could, killing everyone. <laughs> if I could get prurient for just a moment, in Good Boy, you get to make out with the very foxy McKinley Freeman from Days of Our Lives. And he is just the latest in a long list of hot dudes that you have made out with on screen. You have made out with George Clooney. You have made out with Gerard Butler. You've made out with Ashton Kutcher. Can you please spill the tea on who was the best kisser of your career and why? Uh, that's easy. Lily Tomlin. You forgot her. Oh, work. Um, yes. <laughs> Definitely best movie kiss. I uh, also got to grab her boob, although I don't think that they use that take in the movie. We're talking about the film Grandma. Um, if you want to see me suck face with Lily Tomlin, 
watch it. Um, I loved kissing her because she is an idol of mine. Talk about strong women who kick ass. And also she had really soft lips. Oh my God. Mm. Now you're making me want to kiss Lily Tomlin yeah, so Lily much. And I didn't know that was inspired. I know. <laughs> oh man. Is there, are you at liberty to say who was the grossest kisser of your career? <laughs> you know, I, I'm not just saying this. No one stands out. Really? No one stands out as being, like, I don't have a memory of a bad one. Like, nobody slipped you the tongue when it was not warranted and, like. No, and sometimes I get bothered by that because I'm, like, like, sometimes I talk to actresses and they're, like, can you even believe when, like, so-and-so does that or when, like, oh, my God, I was in the scene with this person and they were, like, totally, and I was, like, hmm, this never happened to me. <laughs> yeah, I'll be, like, I know, That's right? gross when people it's, have respect for you. It's so <laughs> annoying when people do that. Ugh, I know. I was telling my husband that story. He's like, why do you, why, what? I'm like, I know, I know, but you know what I mean? A little bit, don't you kind of know? He's like, okay. Yeah, no one's ever slipped me the tongue. No one's ever been gross. I can't remember anyone ever having bad breath. Um, trying to think. Maybe there was one person that I just wasn't like, like didn't like think was maybe the greatest person in the world. So mm. it was less fun for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. And you're being very tactful about mm. that. But I'll allow it. People change. People change. Things change. People change. Things change. I change. You know, <laughs> you could have changed. I am wondering, as someone who's been in the industry for a while, if you have the perspective to tell us if the Me Too movement has had a lasting impact on Hollywood. We haven't really heard a peep about it in months because we've been in the midst of a global pandemic and now we're in the paroxysms of a, a racial equality moment and we're focusing on that as well we should. When you start making movies again, do you think the strides that the Me Too movement has made will still be intact or, or have do you think we'll have to do some retreading of that moment oh I don't even think we scratched the surface of that yet um and so I can't even say we'll have to do retreading because I think we are still figuring out what that is and and like and people still will be like, oh, I know I'm not supposed to say that anymore. Or am I going to get in trouble for saying that? Or, you know, like there's a lot yeah. of, and I'm not even saying that's always a terrible thing when people do it. I, I just, I think that there's a self consciousness um, that people will always, you know, try to sort of hide with humor. And sometimes if you're, a dick maybe disdain but like you know yeah we have to that's gotta still be uh focused on let's say even when we're taking covid tests every day of our lives in order to go on a set like you know we still have work to do in that department i mean when you look at like in the just for example the oscars in 2019 like we still women were still sorely underrepresented and people of color as well so like if that's any indication I mean you know maybe maybe there's less like overt sexual harassment but I think there's still a lot 
that that is going on behind the scenes that needs to be you know fixed mm-hmm. you said that wow. you're you're developing a lot of projects do you have those sort of strides in mind those goals in mind when you're developing new work um I do I mean I'm not yes I do and certainly like keeping people you know certainly with casting certainly with like ideas of um like acceptable feminine behavior like I'm working on a show right now that has more young characters in it and and trying to, you know, I'm not, believe it or not, I'm not young anymore. And I, you know. How dare you? I already told you we're the same age. You seem younger. (laughs) I feel like there is, you know, stuff that I have, I have to learn about the generation, you know, like my stepdaughter's 23. And so, so many facets of her personality based on her generation and her experiences now that like are different that I'm trying to really like observe and take into account when working on this particular project, because, you know, their, their struggles and their fights are different. Um, But also trying to figure out like how to keep, how not to put my, my, past and my ideas onto those young characters because I'm not coming at it from their point of view and and they see things differently and you know when I was talking my stepson is 20 now but there was a I was having a conversation once when he was in high school and I was talking about my friend who was gay and he was like like he was just shocked that I said that you know and he was like I don't think you know he, he was saying that I wasn't like supposed it's a weird, he was saying like, you can't say that. You can't just like talk about someone being gay. And I was like, well, it's relevant to the conversation. But like, he was so, so attuned to like what I was saying about it in a way that I was like, wow, I wasn't that like woke about it when I was his age. But I was also saying like, hey, you know, we're the ones that paved the way for you to feel the way you feel, like for you to you know, for people to be the way they are now, like our generation (laughs) and the generation before us were the ones that fought so hard and there's still so much work to do in that area too. But um, yeah, I think my going forward for me, it's not worth developing or working on projects of my own um, that aren't pushing those agendas, whether it be like female issues or LGBTQ or, you know, issues like as far as like people of color and casting and all that stuff. Like I don't have a desire to spend my days like on projects that aren't going to push those agendas forward. Now, sometimes I have to take a job because mother needs to work. So I'm not ruling. I'm not saying, I can only do those jobs because that would be my goal and maybe I can work towards that. But yes, when it comes to putting my time and creative efforts towards things, it's going to be those things. But more and more, we keep hearing about, you know, feminist creative artists that we admire making the work that they aren't being offered, that they wish they were being offered more and more. And it's a trend that I really admire and it just makes things better for us as viewers. Yeah, but it's cool, too, with, like, how, you know, advanced things are, sort of, technically speaking, you can make make a short film in your house, you know, 
with some friends and it can just be such a kick-ass um like calling card for you and 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 it's frustrating times when you think about um how easy it is for let's just say men to sell an idea and like we have to like make a whole movie about it first but you know maybe that won't be forever I don't know right (laughs) well I don't have to ask you this question because you already answered it earlier are you a feminist but I want to know how your career has informed your feminism and vice versa what have you learned about your feminism by being in the Hollywood well um I've always experienced a, a pay disparity I've always claimed that if you if a man had my resume they would probably already be like starring in a bunch of things and being paid a lot more to do it um that's always kind of bothered me but then and you know and then when the me too movement first broke and it was like well what are we gonna do about it like are are we gonna like say no to jobs that certain people are make like certain studios are making that certain people are a part of like, am I going to pass on jobs because I need to be, you know, getting like um, paid, you know, a better amount because I feel like as actors, we are often already a little bit overpaid, but then when you're asking for like even more money on top of that, because it's what's right to do because you're paying him that much money, then it's like, you know, and then a lot of actors at my level, like, can't really afford to do that. Like, supporting actors can't always afford to not work, especially when, you know, you're already, like, dealing with these streaming services, which the pay in those is very different the way that, I don't know if, like, regular people understand, but, like, actors make a lot of money on residuals. So, like, when you are in movies and you're on, like, network television every time, those episodes or movies rerun you get money for those and that's how a lot of middle mid-level actors pay for their health insurance and get their pensions and stuff through our union and so then when you know everything became streaming and you start doing these Netflix shows and Hulu shows and you know in one on one side it's created so much more content so so many more people have opportunities to get jobs on the other side like you don't get any residuals on streaming services so a lot of actors are losing a lot of money instead of that one job that you would kind of get paid for several times over you- so what you're telling me is the first round of say goodbye to these <laughs> was much more lucrative than the second round of say goodbye to these yes <laughs> I did not realize that. Yeah. So, you know, there's like work to be done um, there as far as like contract negotiations and stuff in the future, I think. But, uh, but you know, a lot of, like I said, a lot of actors who could like guest star on like, you know, Law and Order or something would, that would, they would do pretty well on a couple of those guest starring, guest starring roles throughout the year. Have you been on Law and Order? No, isn't that weird? It's like one of my favorite. That shows. is so weird. But also because one time, I'm a manager. I was like, I, he, I, he knows how much I love it, and was just like, do you, I can, do you want to be on it? Like they'll have you on it. I'm like, no, actually, no, I don't. I don't want to ruin it. I just like I want to love it forever. And sometimes 
when you go on a show or you work with an actor or director or something that you like obsess over and it's like it can be very disappointing if you catch my drift sometimes so I was like mm-hmm. you know maybe I want that to be my special thing <laughs> that is like maybe but I I just want to say that I interviewed Mariska Hargitay for Bust Ooh. Magazine. I got to go on the set of Law & Order. I was afraid that it would be ruined for me. And it was literally like one of the best days of my entire life. And I would personally encourage you to get on there and to go to there because it's even better than your wildest dreams can imagine. You need to see Mariska Hargitay's purple plush tricked out dressing room. You need to see it. You need to go to there. And she has all these like Wonder Woman figurines around and stuff and feminist books and posters. And it's like kind of amazing. And she's the executive producer. So she's making it even so much more feministy than it even was before. It's a feminist Shangri-La. You have to go there. Okay, fine. I will. You've convinced me. And then when I see you on Law and Order, I'm going to be like, I did that. I did it. Well, I usually always just wanted to be the dead body in the beginning of the OG. But yeah. Now I feel like I really would love to be questioned by Mariska Hargitay. Yeah, you have to be the person who's like so sweet and nice that you couldn't have possibly done that, but then you so did that. Yeah, like remember a long time ago when Cynthia Nixon was on it and she like actually killed a dude in the subway and she was like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And I was like, no, it couldn't be her. And then it was her. And I was like, what? And I don't even care if I'm spoiling it because that was a long time ago. Also, like when um, Carol Burnett turned out to be the villain and it was like, no, Carol. (laughs) I love it. It would be like that if you did that. And I so want you to do it. Okay, fine. I'll do it. (laughs) Now I really want to do it. Now you're making me want to do it. And I can't even do it until like the world comes back to life. I know. Especially now that Warren Light is back show running that show. It's better than ever. You have to go back. You have to go on now. Um, Done. Okay. I'll stop badgering you about Lana. <laughs> I promise. But I want to know what are your hopes and your dreams and your plans for the rest of 2020? And what is the very first thing that you want to do once the whole country opens back up and we're allowed to hug each other again? Mm, okay. Well, you kind of already answered it. I want to hug all my friends. I have seen a handful of friends like social distance style and it's even harder seeing them like from this the porch you know um and not being able to touch them or hug them I hate it I didn't realize how much I touch my friends (laughs) which probably they're all like this has been great because Judy's not all over us all the time but I'm like a very touchy cuddly person with my friends yeah I'm a habitual friend toucher as well like I'm I would be happy to like snuggle on a sofa with all my friends um I really want to go to a Dodger game that would be like a thing I'm really excited about whenever that can happen again. Also, it would make me happy to see my husband so happy. He would be so happy at Dodger Stadium. And I know it's been really, it sounds stupid, but you know, that's like a great escape for him. And he hasn't had it through all this. And so I can still like dick around and look at like shopping websites, even though I'm not really shopping, but like I can knit, I can read books and I don't know that's his like escape you know so I feel bad for people who I think really rely on sports for that as an outlet and don't have it and what about the rest of the year does that sound lame not at all no those those all sound like lovely things to do and I'm just wondering on the other side of like your vision board for the rest of the year 
Like what's on it? Um, I hope to go back to work. I was um, meant to be in this movie called Flint Strong and they started shooting it and had to shut down. And I'm really hoping that they can get it back up again soon and that I can still be in it. So that's on my vision board for sure. And Is it about water stuff? No, it's actually about um, this uh, female boxer who won the Olympic gold medal in female boxing two years in a row. Her nickname Are you playing Red. a boxer? No. <laughs> That'd be so cool. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm playing um, a representative from the Olympics boxing team oh, that's like okay. championing her. Um, I right. hope I hope that happens. Um, I hope um, that would be on my vision board. And then I would love to see my parents. They're in Ohio. I don't know how to do that yet. I'll make yeah, my parents are in Virginia, and I feel like they're so far away. I know. It feels weird. Like, normally I'm like, thank God they're in Ohio. And now I'm like, that's just too far. Yeah, I've, I'm like, I'm like, no, thank you, until there, someone tells me I can't see my mom, and then I'm like, how fucking yeah. dare you? Oh, yeah, I'll drive there. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll put on a diaper. I don't care. <laughs> oh, and finally, this is a question that we ask everyone who comes on our show, okay. and that question is, what you watching? And when I say what you watching, it is a broad question. I'm talking about books and movies and okay. television and music and music videos and podcasts <laughs> anything that you are consuming pop culturally we want to know about it because it is probably cool so i ask judy greer what you watching okay uh you want to know it all i am watching quote unquote um the last dance um barry um you <laughs> but not with my husband I watch that on my own um I'm watching I'm watching my way through the AFI uh 100 greatest movies of all time list I am currently reading so you want to talk about race and the signature of all things and listening to white fragility <laughs> I just got it from Audible because, as previously discussed, it's unavailable. Um, I am listening to The Daily every day when I walk my dog. I'm listening. Me too. It's the best. I have a fan of Michael Barbaro fantasy. Don't tell my husband. Um, <laughs> this is, is what else you need to do today. Oh, my God. I'm like, I have this obsession with, like, one day I'll be sitting next to, like, a man on an airplane. And he'll be like, I would like a vodka soda. And I'll be like, Michael Barbaro! And then the whole entire flight, I'm just going to like pepper him with questions and record his answers. This is what else we need to know today. Um, and then Michael Barbaro will go, say goodbye to these. <laughs> Can you even imagine that world? That would be like the coolest world ever. <laughs> that would be the best. Um, so I listen to The Daily, This American Life, and um, Modern Love, and... and what else am I listening to? Did you watch the Modern Love TV show? No, I didn't watch it. I don't know why. I guess I should. It's just that, like, some things, like, I guess I said previously about Law and Order, like, some things I just want to be in my head. But yeah. I could watch it. I also loved Normal People, and I haven't watched that on Hulu yet, and I really need to. Um, I just recently treated myself to a subscription to Vogue, which I haven't had in years. I usually buy it at the newsstand, but I was like, I don't know. Maybe it'd be nice to 
get it in my mailbox. Um, well, you know what else? You told us about the secret of residuals that I didn't know. Did you know, like, because we work at Bust Magazine, yeah, a lot of people me. don't know that when you buy a magazine at the newsstand, the actual magazine gets virtually no money. And when you subscribe, we get all the money. What? And so there's like a huge, like people think that there's like supporting bust and they're like, we, we get it at the newsstand every time it comes out. And we're like, great. We don't see that money, but we appreciate you. Oh my God. I'm so happy you told me that because now I'll just subscribe to the magazines that I buy at the newsstand. Because If you want to support them, you should subscribe. I will because I also get, um, I buy at my newsstand Lapham's quarterly and that's something I have to subscribe. Um, I didn't, I I sort of look at it as like an event. Like I walk to the newsstand and buy myself Mm -hmm. the thing and- but I can like walk. I had no idea until I started working for a magazine that that was a thing. That is really good information, especially in this time exactly right now when we're all trying to support small businesses. And, you know, I always like yell at my friends who don't go to the movies in the actual movie theater because I'm like, dude, you're, there's not going to be movie theaters and you're going to whine about it. And, and the reason there's not going to be movie theaters is because you don't, you never went to the movies. Like, we hate the idea of these things being gone, but we don't actually support them, you know? Like, so I really am really good about, you know, going to my little local bookstore and if I have to wait three days because they have to order it and I can't get it within an hour from effing Amazon, it's fine with me. I can wait a couple of days. We used to have to wait a lot of days. A lot um, of days, yeah. But that's so good. Thanks for that. You're so welcome. And thank you for coming on the show. I know you have to go. You've been such a joy to talk to. And I loved your movie so much, truly, because it was about me. Oh, well, (laughs) I enjoyed watching you listen to us talking. And um, thanks for having me on. Oh, good. Thank you. I I really enjoyed being on your podcast. Thanks for having me. I I, I hope I lived up to your say goodbye to these expectations. You absolutely did. Come back on anytime. I will. I'll take you up on that. We have so much more to talk about. Callie, Judy Greer just left. She was so fun to talk to. And now I can't wait to talk to you about what you're watching. So we're going to take the briefest of breaks. And when I come back, I'm going to ask you, Callie. And Callie, perhaps you will ask me what you watching. Hey, podcast fans. Did you know that the best place to listen to your favorite shows ad-free is Stitcher Premium? They've got Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, My Favorite Murder, Wolverine The Lost Trail, Bitch Sesh, The Fantasy Footballers, Science Rules with Bill Nye, and more, all without commercial interruptions. And we can hook you up with a sweet deal. To get one month free, go to stitcher.com premium and use promo code POPTARTS. That's stitcher.com slash premium, promo code POPTARTS. Before we get back to the show, I want to tell you about our new sponsor, Wolfie Vibes Publicity. If you're working on a new project and find yourself in need of a kick-ass publicist who communicates well and works tirelessly to get you the coverage you're after, consider going to Wolfie Vibes Publicity. Wolfie Vibes Publicity is a female-owned and operated boutique PR firm that will get you where you need to be, and you'll even have fun in the process. Get in touch via wolfievibespublicity.com for details and quotes, and tell them that Pop-Tart sent you. 
essentially I started it because every female comedian I know was amazing and hardworking and hilarious and I knew would make great podcasts and every male comedian I know already had a podcast and was doing their own thing. <laughs> Hi, I'm Kate Moldenhauer, the founder of More Banana Podcasts, a comedy podcast network entirely produced, hosted and led by women. We have shows about politics. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Let's Get Civical. When the Supreme Court puts stuff on their calendar, they use the word docket. So their Google calendar is a docket. Is a docket. So technically, I have a docket. You have a docket. We all have docket. We dockets. all have a docket. Sex. Welcome to my vagina. I'm Jesse Karen. This is Rebecca Frank. What were ancient Greek dildos made of, Jesse? They were made of padded leather and, yep, anointed with olive oil. Yep. <laughs> Scams. I'm Caitlin Bradley Smith. And, <laughs> and we, we love scams. scams. She tells them she's a German Russian heiress and she seems like she has a lot of money and people buy it. That's yeah. basically what's happening. So as soon as she got a loan, she would cash it as much as she could out before anybody caught on. Which Amazing. Was so smart. I mean, so like smart. To, I mean, it's terrible, but like to take that money out immediately. Because women are actually pretty versatile and funny. More Banana is a network of women's voices, unfiltered and uninterrupted. Find us everywhere you get your podcasts and learn about our growing roster of shows at morebanana.com. And we're back. Callie, we just talked to Judy Greer, and now I gotta know, I need to know, what you watching? Um, I'm watching this show... Becky and uh it's about a bunch of lady skateboarders they're all like young girls oh that's on HBO HBO and Leslie Arfin is involved in it somehow you remember Leslie Arfin yeah she was at Misbehave and I think a couple other places um so I'm really liking that at first I thought it was going to be really cheesy but it got really good I'm here for it and then I'm watching this thing called Celebrity Watch Party and that is like a bunch of, it's like what you're watching, but with celebrities in their house during quarantine. Huh. Is that on Fox? Um, Yeah, maybe, because I think it was coming on around when Mass Singer was on. It's a bunch of celebrities. They rotate. They they make them watch like regular stuff that we watch. Then they watch like, like classic movies. They watched um, Dirty Dancing all together. And they watched Mass Singer. And some of them didn't know what Mass Singer was. So that was hilarious. So they just like freak out when they see it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's great. I love it. And then Riverdale has come to an end and they did a great musical episode um, where they covered Hedwig and the Angry Itch songs. Nice. I loved that. And it was just like uh, the principal wouldn't let them play it and every uh, perform the songs in the talent show. And so everybody just did all Hedwig songs and ambushed the talent show. It was great. I love it. What have you been watching? I'm so glad you asked. I've been watching a few things. Um, Frequent Bust contributor Jenny Miller turned me on to the big flower fight on Netflix. It's this British competition show that's very much in the style of the Great British Bake Off and the Great British Sewing Bee. But instead, it's people crafting. There's a sewing? Giant. Yeah. There's a show called the Great British Sewing Bee. And in this one, they're crafting giant floral designs, like giant sculptural floral designs uh-huh. um one of the hosts of the, sh- of the show is natasia dimitriou from what we do in the shadows she's the lady vampire oh my god i love that show so much 
so do I so much. I've, I've watched every episode since the last time we talked and I love what we do in the shadows. So it's, it's exciting to still see some Natasha now that I've raced through all of those episodes. And then she has a co-host named Vic Reeves. And then they have this expert judge who's, uh, an American flower designer named Kristen Griffith Vanderyacht. And he is a gentleman of color who makes giant floral creations and his uh, judgments are swift and severe. And I'm here for Kristen Griffith Vanderyacht. And um, he has the greatest name in television right now. <laughs> um, and then they'll have like guest judges come in. And they have 10 teams of florists and one team gets eliminated every episode. Um, They're florists, they're sculptors, they're garden designers, and they're all competing to create the most extravagant floral installation for each week. And then the winner gets to display at London's Royal Botanic Gardens. And so they have huge, like they have challenges like make a humongous bug that's 10 feet tall out of flowers, make a couture gown completely out of flowers that a model will actually wear. Well, that's awesome. Um, yeah. There is one where they just made like the most humongous animals. And it was like, ah, it was that it's so creative and fun and relaxing at a time when we desperately need it. So I endorse it. The big flower fight on Netflix. I also watch for the very first time. I am legend which was a questionable decision on my part. Is this a movie from 2007? Yeah, I remember about, watching it, but I can't. That was a long time ago. It's a post-apocalypse movie starring that Will Smith. Will Smith. Yeah. yeah. It's based on this 1954 novel. Um, and in this iteration of the movie this movie this novel has been turned into a movie three times and this is the third time um this one is set in new york city in the current day and the idea is that there's this cure for cancer that um is like a virus that's supposed to cure cancer but then the virus that cures cancer ends up wiping out most of humanity all over the world and the only person left in new york is will smith who plays an immunologist and then the few people left in new york that didn't die from the virus turned into basically these nocturnal mutants that are basically vampire zombies and so they used to be people and now they're like scary scary monsters lurking in the dark so He's the last person left in New York City. New York City is a total wasteland. It's very eerie to watch at this precise moment. Um, <laughs> but I did. And it was it was good. The other film adaptations of this are um, 1964's The Last Man on Earth and 1971's Omega Man. Oh. Um, and I haven't seen any... I hadn't seen any of those movies until this week. I saw I Am Legend, which I liked. But Luscious Logan tells me that the other two are even better so i'll probably i've heard of them but i haven't seen get them. to them too it, to scratch my new york is apocalyptic itch um i also watched every single episode of this show on cbs that i don't know anybody else that's watching called evil it's on cbs and all of season one is on cbs all access and another season is on the way sometime probably later this year 
And it stars Katya Herbers, who's from Westworld, and she stars in it as a forensic psychologist who's hired to work with a super hot Catholic priest in training played by Mike Coulter, who hot you probably know. are really having a moment right now. They are. Yeah, it's definitely a flea bag moment. But this hot priest is played by the guy who plays Luke Cage. So oh, check that. Oh, in here. that is a hot uh, priest. Yeah, it's the hottest of priests. And he also takes a lot of um, hallucinatory drugs to commune with God. So like he's like a hot high priest. Oh, whoa, I'm into that. <laughs> And then, so she's on a team with him, with this this priest in training, and a contractor who's played by Asif Mandvi from The Daily Show. And the three of them are this team that are hired by the Catholic Church to investigate uh, what is actually going on when people request an exorcism from the Catholic Church. So they're there to either debunk it or to exorcise it. I love it. <laughs> and it totally has this ex files vibe but also with a side of the exorcist it's like it's like x-files and the exorcist mixed together that sounds amazing um there's a the villain in it is michael emerson who was also the villain in lost so if you're one of those lost people you might uh like it and christine lottie is in there who is an actress who i love and she is basically in there uh fucking the devil (gasps) and so i enjoy that also it's great and uh, so those are the main things I've been watching. And the last thing I've been watching is, of course, the Majestic Pop-Tarts Patreon page, yes. which recently made its debut. And we really need your help to um, keep Bust alive, which is why we created this Patreon page. It's a fundraiser for Bust. And what we did is we created a whole bunch of goodies for Pop-Tarts listeners over at patreon.com slash Podcast. Callie and I, with help from the whole bus team, have been making uh, indexes of everything that everyone has been watching since the very beginning of the show. And so now if you subscribe through Patreon, you have access to all of those lists for every episode ever. Um, if you're like, hey, I've I've totally finished watching The Big Flower Fight and I have no idea what to watch next, just go through what Callie and I and what all of our guests have been watching. It's all there on our Patreon page for subscribers. And we've got a whole bunch of other great incentives like that there. There's ad-free episodes. There's exclusive episodes like the one we just taped with Big Frida, the Queen Diva, You Better Believe There's great stuff on there. And so I really encourage you to check it out at patreon.com slash podcast. Also, I really want to take this moment here to thank two donors who have pitched in to support this podcast Yay! at the $25 level. Uh, if you if you want a shout out like this, you uh, can become a $25 supporter like Johanna Bates. Yes, like Lori Mucciolo. Yay! Yay! Both of these fine ladies are helping to keep Bust alive. And if you want to join them, it would really mean so much to us. Finally, thanks to our luscious producer and sound engineer, Logan Del Fuego. Muy caliente. And to our girl gang at Bust Magazine. You can find me on Twitter at Emily Rams and on Instagram at Rams Emily. You cannot find Callie on the socials, so don't even try. You can email us both. I'm at emilyrems at bus.com. Callie W at bus.com. 
And you can learn more about this show at bust.com slash Pop-Tarts. And finally, please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. We super duper appreciate it. Until next time. And there's a six month wait list at the LA Public Library for white fragility. Like that's, that sounds funny if you take that sentence out of context. Um.